BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. We are back after a few days off, after a few days of taking in the World Cup, lapping it up, enjoying the football and trying to get a bit of rest in ahead of what's going to be a crazy second half of the Premier League season. But we're here with you today. We're live on YouTube. A big hello to everybody who's joining us live. And of course, a big hello to everybody who is watching or listening to this back on whichever platform it is that they prefer. On this edition, we're going to be talking Gabby Jesus, who uh, might have picked up an injury on international duty with Brazil. We're going to be talking Gabby Martinelli. We're going to be talking Granite Xhaka's Housery, Arsenal's financial results and the World Cup. We'll also be taking some of your questions towards the back end of the show, which should be fun. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back. You know, we've done a few World Cup shows in the early stages of the tournament. And i got to be honest, like I'm going to be completely open and honest with you guys. When there's something that it feels like it's worth talking about, around the World Cup. We'll jump on, we'll do it, we'll cover it, we'll chat about it, we'll discuss it at length. But I have really enjoyed the fact that during the World Cup, my work schedule is a a lot less intense. And as much as people say to me sometimes, like, oh, you're so lucky, you do a job that you love. And, you know, it's great that you get to talk about and watch football and, and cover football for a living. And it is like, I'm not for a second saying that I'm not very, very lucky to to do what I do. But it does get on top of you sometimes, right? It's it's non-stop. You can't escape football anymore. In in 2022, it's everywhere. There's games every single day if you cover all different competitions, right? You're looking at domestic football, cup football, European football. Now we've got the World Cup slap bang in the middle of the season. And what can happen is you can suffer from a bit of burnout, I think. And I got it towards the back end of last season. And I felt like I was moving towards it again uh, just now. And I'm not saying that, you know, 
it's okay for me to just disappear whenever I feel like it. But I just needed, at least for the first couple of weeks of the World Cup, to just step back a little bit, enjoy the football, because I have really enjoyed it. I know there's been a lot of talk about Qatar. There's been a lot of discussion around whether this competition should have ever taken place there. And all of that is, of course, very, very valid. But for me, um, it's it's been a good opportunity to kind of just get my house in order, tidy up a few bits. As you can see, the man cave has had a complete uh, move around, uh, shift around. Uh, that's another part of the reason why you didn't get a podcast for a couple of days, because everything was unplugged. Everything was in the middle of the room. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I started moving it all around and started reassembling stuff and thought, oh, I can't be bothered to finish this today. I'll tell you what, I'll go inside and watch the World Cup. And you get to that point, don't you, where you're just kind of going through the motions and and you feel drained. You feel tired. You feel like you need to just take your foot off the gas a little bit. And I'm not going to get another chance between now and the end of the Premier League season, because once the Premier League returns, once Arsenal return to action, that'll be that. Uh, it'll be full steam ahead, 100 miles an hour. And I don't want to be letting anyone down during that crucial part of the Premier League campaign. So I thought better to just step back uh, for a few days during this World Cup, enjoy it, chill out. Um, and uh, and we go again uh, stronger uh, in the second half of the season. But I am here today because there is some Arsenal news to discuss. I am here today to talk, as I say, Gabby Jesus, Gabby Martinelli, Granite Xhaka's housery, uh, Arsenal's financial result, and of course, the World Cup. There is lots and lots to sink our teeth into. So let's start with Gabby Jesus. Now, what's the latest? Because a lot of Arsenal fans, when they read those reports doing... Um, doing the rounds were nervous, concerned, worried, um, fearful of what that news might be going forward. Um, one of the big concerns for Arsenal fans going into this tournament is obviously the, the, the concern around losing key players to injury. One of Arsenal's main reasons, I would say, that they've been so successful and, and have been able to find the level of consistency that they have is that they've been able to pick a pretty consistent team. Um, yes, there have been some injuries along the way and Mikel Arteta at times has had to shuffle the pack, but there's not had to be wholesale dramatic changes. And so when you look at someone like Gabby Jesus, who's clearly so important to the way we play, obviously he's going through a bit of a goal drought, but that doesn't take away from his all-round game. It doesn't take away from the fact that he is imperative to us as an attacking force. To hear that he's picked up a knock is concerning, is worrying. I remember watching the Ghana game yesterday and Listen, no offence to any Ghanaians. I've got lots of Ghanaian friends, actually. But And I was actually speaking to one yesterday who was obviously buzzing about the game with Uruguay and saying, you know, I can't wait for us to exact our revenge on Luis Suarez and Uruguay. And there was me sitting there going, mate, it's not personal. I think the African teams have brought such a vibrancy to this tournament so far. Um, they've been really competitive as well, which is great to see. And, um, and you know, long may that continue. But when it comes to Thomas Partey, I want him back home. I want him wrapped up in cotton wool and I want him stored away until, uh, hypothetically, of course, I'm not suggesting that he should be kidnapped and locked in a cupboard, but I want him stored away hypothetically until uh, the Premier League returns because he's so key and so imperative to Arsenal's prospects moving forward for the remainder of the season. So actually them going out, I know to Ghanaians, it will be heartbreaking to me. It's OK. It's OK. You know, Thomas Partey can uh, can take a step away, join up with the warm weather training camp, just kind of keep his fitness levels up without necessarily exerting himself too much 
and and with a lesser risk, of course, of sustaining an injury. But going back to Gabby Jesus, so what exactly happened? Well, he started the game for Brazil last night against Cameroon, a game that Brazil lost. Um, Gabby Martinelli was also in the starting eleven as well. And we'll come on to talk about him in a bit. But uh, post-match, uh, Gabby Jesus complained of a pain in his right knee. Now, we don't know what the extent of this problem is. We don't know if it's a problem at all. We don't know if it's something that can uh, go away by itself. We don't know if it's something that needs treatment. We don't know if it's something that's going to keep him out for a few days. We don't know if it's something that's going to keep him out for a few weeks. But obviously, um, the alarm bells are ringing among the Arsenal fan base because this is a guy who, as I've already touched on, is so, so, so important to this football team to this football club of ours that we all love and we all adore. So the latest is that Brazil have requested uh, a couple of scans today, um, some screening uh, to try and ascertain whether there's an actual injury sustained, whether it was a discomfort, whether it's due to tiredness, whether it's due to a lack of match fitness, whether he's tweaked something. So we should hopefully hear more in the next 24, 48 hours. But um, just to hear that Gabby Jesus has complained of a, an issue is obviously concerning as Arsenal fans. Now, this report came from Goal Brazil. Uh, so it's not just one of those random guys on Twitter that decided one day that he was going to become an ITK and uh, and throw some information out there and hope that it sticks and hope that it gains traction. This came from Goal Brazil, uh, who are normally a very, very good source. And, uh, and as I say, the tests, uh, the imaging slash screening tests on Gabby Jesus's knee problem are due to take place uh, today. So hopefully we find out a little bit more about that in the not too distant future. As for Gabriel Martinelli, well, he's come out of the game unscathed and he's come out of the game with a lot of credit. Now, this was a guy who, you know, we as Arsenal fans know all about. We know what he's capable of. We know how good he is. We know what he brings to the table. And we thought and felt that he more than deserved an opportunity to go along to the World Cup with Brazil. Didn't think he was going to make it, though, I have to say. Um and there were some noises out of Brazil, weren't there, after that uh, selection was announced, sort of saying and suggesting uh, in some quarters that Gabriel Martinelli shouldn't have gone, that he shouldn't have been taken, that there were others who were more worthy and more deserving of a place uh, than him. Tite, the manager, took the decision to take him, gave him an opportunity off the bench um, in the uh, in the other games, but obviously now... Uh, going into that final group game against Cameroon, Brazil were, of course, already qualified. He gave him an opportunity to start. And, you know, I mean, what more can you ask for from Gabriel Martinelli? You know, he gets his opportunity. He obviously wants to take it. He's obviously keen to make an impact. And he does exactly that. I thought he was probably Brazil's most dangerous player yesterday. Uh, a constant threat to Cameroon down that left-hand side. Uh, often drifted into the penalty area into some really dangerous positions and and caused his opposition problems. Always lively, uh, always willing to run, always willing to chase and harry and hassle. And, and those are the things that we as Arsenal fans have come to expect from Gabby Martinelli. But to see him do it at international level and to see him perform so well for a Brazil side that, of course, was, you know, was full of change. And, and, and you know, it was an audition, wasn't it, for pretty much all 11 of those players that got an opportunity. But to see Gabby Martinelli stick out and be top of the pile in terms of his performance and and to be the standout performer in a side that, although you'll say it's Brazil's second string, is packed and stacked with talent, um, it is, is really, really great to see. We also saw Anthony of Manchester United 
uh, doing what three successive stepovers and getting absolutely nowhere with the ball. Uh, what we've come to expect from him, I guess. Um, but yeah, Man United digs aside. Going back to to Martinelli, I thought he took the opportunity um, with both hands, and I thought he was unlucky actually not to get on the score sheet. Forced, I think, three saves out of uh, the Cameroonian goalkeeper, and um, you know maybe on another day scores and uh, and really marks. Uh, the occasion. But look, great start to his Brazil career at a World Cup finals for Gabriel Martinelli. Obviously, he's featured so far in the tournament, but this was his first start. And I thought he he justified the selection. I thought he justified the selection, not just on the night, but he has so far in the tournament justified the decision to take him along to the tournament, perhaps ahead of some that, you know, those in Brazil felt were better placed, uh, shall we say, to um, to, to make the final squad travelling out to Qatar. Arsenal also announced uh, their financial results just yesterday. That was a big bit of news as well. And Arsenal announced a £45.5 million loss despite slashing their wage bill. But what do these numbers actually mean? Well, I've scoured the internet over the last 24 hours looking for a breakdown of this in layman's terms, looking for someone to put it into a more, um, what's the word, a, a more simpler way, I guess, like a, a way that, you know, non-financial experts like myself, yes, I was a banker, but I wasn't a very good one, hence the change of career. Uh, but yeah, look, I wanted to find somewhere where it it was broken down in a way that we can kind of sit here and dissect together. And actually the best uh, piece that I found out there was the one uh, from Charles Watts. We all know who Charles Watts is. We all know how brilliant his work is. And, and I'll share it with you guys on the screen. He broke it down for us uh, on gold.com. So he says, goal uh, takes a look at the numbers behind Arsenal's latest accounts, which have just been released. Arsenal have announced a loss for the year ending May 31st of £45.5 million. That is $55.8 million. This is after tax. And the club have indicated, highlighted that the um, significant factor behind this is obviously the lack of European football last season. However, as Charles puts in the article, the loss is relatively large. But in comparison to what we saw in 2021, which saw the Gunners report losses of £107.7 million, that's £131.6 million, um, it is obviously a step in the right direction. Now, that season prior uh, sort of saw its figures skewed, I guess, by, of course, uh, COVID and the impact that that had. And that was obviously huge, wasn't it? Um, that was massive. Um, but if we break it down into sort of sections, as as Charles Watts has done uh, very, very well, let me just get rid of this um, Mikel Arteta video from the bottom corner before we get done for a copyright strike or something. Um, but yeah, look, football revenue for the year was £369.1 million. And that was up from £327.6 million the previous year. The return of supporters to games at Emirates Stadium following the pandemic was a major factor in the rise, with matchday revenue increasing to £79.4 million from just £3.8 million across Arsenal's 23 home fixtures. Um, the club had an average attendance of 59,000. 
568. Uh, broadcasting revenues dropped sharply, however, falling to £146 million from £184.4 million with the lack of UEFA broadcasting revenue again singled out as the major factor, as well as the TV revenue for more than just one season had been included in the previous year's accounts due to the COVID delay completion of the 2019-20 campaign. Commercial revenues did increase, but only slightly uh, to 141.7 million from 136.4 million. So you, you want to see a bit more growth there if you're being critical. Uh, in terms of the wage bill, one of the biggest takeaways, as Charles reports in this piece from Arsenal's new accounts, is the drop in the wage bill. In the previous year's accounts, wage costs were listed at 244.4 million pounds. That has now dropped significantly to 212.3 million pounds following the departure of several big name players. Now, you know, there's a few that we've got rid of, right? A few of note. You know, you're talking people like Urzil in um, you know, the not too distant past. You're talking about Aubameyang, you know, there's been so many high profile players that were on crazy money. Even people like Ser Kalasinac were on 100k a week. You know, we've we've moved on a lot of players that were on really big wages. We've got a smaller squad, which obviously helps. Uh, but in order to kind of control the wage bill and aim for the best possible quality, you kind of need to do that, don't you? You'd rather have three or four massive earners than what we had in the past, which was a squad of maybe, you know, more and that had a, a bigger group of high earners, but that weren't necessarily uh, obviously contributing on the field in the way that their wages suggested they should be. Explaining the drop, Arsenal said on the player side, there's been a process of restructuring the men's first team squad to improve the efficiency of the spend. This includes changes made in earlier years, but where the full benefit has only been realised in the 21-22 figures. Um Player sales profits also went up. The total profit on player sales was £20.2 million, up from £11.8 million the previous year, with player loans bringing in a further £2 million. Arsenal accept that this is an area where they must improve as they look to return to a self-financing model. Now, I said this on Tom Canton's show yesterday. I said that despite KSD spending in the last couple of seasons, and despite them clearly backing Mikel Arteta at this moment in time, the desire would be uh, to return back to a self-sustaining model as soon as possible. That's the aim. That's the goal. That's what they want. That's what they want to achieve. And so at some point, we're going to have to get back there. And player sales is a big way in which you can offset the money that you outlay on players. Right. We all know that we've seen that people talk a lot about what Manchester City did in the summer in terms of the players they brought in. But people very rarely talk about how much they generated from sales. Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko, a couple of those players that they made healthy, uh, healthy amounts of money on. And that's that's how you do it, isn't it? You you obviously develop players, you grow players um, and you, you know, where the opportunities come along to sell you you have to weigh it up and, and make those decisions. Now, Northside London in the chat says, does a self-sustaining model mean that we'll sell our best players again? So I understand why people would think that. I understand why people would, would jump to that conclusion off the back of, um, you know, this report and, and what it says about KSE's intentions in the long term and, and how Arsenal plan to move forward. But what I would say is this, 
if you're successful, if you are competing at the very top, if you are, um, you know, proving that in the transfer market, you are an incredibly savvy club who make way more good decisions than bad ones, who have an eye for talent, then naturally, I think you put yourself in a position where you can then demand bigger amounts of money for even your fringe players. And Manchester City are a great example of that, right? Zinchenko, he wasn't in the team week in, week out. He was someone used as a backup left back. He was someone used as a central midfielder. Gabriel Jesus wasn't starting games every single week. So even as players on the peripheries, if you're in a successful side, then people can demand big money for you. Liverpool have been pretty good at doing this over the years in terms of, you know, having players that were sort of knocking about their their substitutes bench and coming in and out when needed, but not necessarily the, the, the pillars of their side. Clubs have come in and gone, yeah, you know what? He's playing at Liverpool. He must have had a great footballing education. He's a winner because he's at a team that was winning. He has that right mentality. He's worked under an excellent coach. Clearly, he's a model professional, having been in such a successful environment for such a long time, will be willing to pay more. That's what you get, right? It's not. I'm not saying that it, the return to self-sustaining uh, in terms of our model means that we're going to say, oh, look, the first time an offer for Bukayo Saka comes along, we're going to take it and we're going to run a mile with it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the healthier the club, the healthier your squad, the greater your ability to demand bigger amounts of money to let these players go. And when you are successful and when you are winning football matches, you're not seen as desperate. The problem we've had is that we've been seen as desperate to move on a lot of players in recent times. So take Aubameyang, for example. The way the whole situation between he and Mikel Arteta unfolded meant that we were desperate to move him on, meant that we were desperate to get rid of him. And so nobody in their right minds was going to come uh, and table an offer that was anywhere near reflective of how good a player he's been in his career to date. If you think about Mesa Ozil, it was the same thing. If you think about people like Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who were sort of cast aside and, and you know, it was made abundantly clear that they would not be part of the team moving forward and, and that they were not part of Mikel Arteta's plans, then how do you ask for major money for those guys? Whereas if you have them in the squad and the squad is healthy and there's less dead weight and there's less um, disengaged, disenfranchised players knocking about the place, then you can, when somebody shows an interest in your player, go you know what, this guy is a part of our squad. This guy is a part of our plans in some way or another. And so we're going to ask for 20, 25 million pounds. And that's how you do it. It's not about selling your stars. It's, you know, now and again, every few years, you might be forced to do that. You might get a star player turn around and say, guys, I want to go to Real Madrid. But if you run the club properly and the team is successful and you have the right contracts in place and you you take the precautions and the steps to ensure that you're not vulnerable as a football club, you will be able to at least come out of those situations with a hefty profit and then the ability to go and reinvest it. in. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night 
and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill players who could potentially fill those boots moving forward. So I'm not massively concerned about this idea or notion of Arsenal returning to a self-sustaining model um, ASAP because that's what I always believed were were to be KSC's intentions. And that doesn't change in my mind anyway. Um, let's take it on a little bit to year and uh, year end cash position rises. Uh, the year end cash position of the club was 30 million pounds up from 18.8 million pounds. Arsenal added that the renewal of season tickets for the 2022-23 season was very strong, but the timing of renewal meant that the cash impact of this was mainly deferred until June. So show progress on the pitch. The people will come show progress on the field and the people will adore you again. And that's as simple as you can put it when it comes to football nowadays, right? I've been to the Emirates Stadium for every game this season so far, and the crowds have been far healthier. The atmosphere is far healthier. There's none of that toxicity. And the demand for tickets is bigger than I've ever known it. I've got people messaging me all the time asking me if I can get hold of tickets. And listen, I can't, you know, I can't. It's just the way it goes. You, your season ticket holders obviously have their tickets and then they go on sale to members, a very limited number of members when there is surplus. But beyond that, it's very difficult to get tickets without paying way over the odds and doing it in a way that isn't necessarily the correct way, shall I say. So I'm not ignoring people. I just, I can't get tickets. I can't get spare tickets. You know, for me to, to get spare tickets, it would mean my dad or my brothers or, or somebody very close to me deciding they don't want to go. Now, if someone says to me, I can't make this game, do you know anyone that wants it? And I put it out there, that's different. And we can transfer those over and, and they can be done on the exchange, but it's, it's not easy to pick up tickets at the moment. And that's because of the team. And their improvement, that's because of Mikel Arteta's, I think, uh, work in terms of rebuilding that relationship between fans and club. I think there's so, so much to be positive around Arsenal at the moment. And ultimately, as I say, when things are healthy, when the club's doing well, people come. And that's where we are today. Uh, let's take it on a little bit further. Arsenal's view. Uh, this is the kind of summing up bit uh, on this latest uh, set of results. Um, summing up the latest accounts, Arsenal praised the support of owner Stan Kroenke and admitted that securing qualification for European football was key to the club's ambitions of at least breaking even. A closing statement read, during the 2021 period and subsequently during the 2022 summer transfer window, the club has invested strongly in the development of its men's first team playing resources. This investment recognises that the club has not been where it wanted to be in terms of on-field competitiveness and that, as a minimum, qualification for UEFA competition needed to be regained as a prerequisite to re-establishing a self-sufficient 
financial base. This investment would not have been possible without the support and commitment of the club's ownership, Cronky Sports and Entertainment. Qualification for the Europa League represents a positive first step and can be viewed alongside the start to the 2022-23 season, which has so far been encouraging. So nothing there that jumps out at me as unusual or as remotely controversial. I think that's basically what we uh, thought they would say. And, you know, it just goes to show that if you do make the investment, the results on the pitch, as long as you've got the right manager and the right structure in place, will follow. And I think that KSE can be quite pleased with the fact that they've made those investments, but that they are reaping the rewards for it on the pitch now as well, because ultimately a strong team, a healthy football club where there is interest and there is desire to follow and support and attend is a much bigger, stronger, powerful business than one where the interest is, um, you know, waning and one where uh, people are, are not really kind of sure how to feel. But yeah, let's um, let's see how it goes. Um, just having a look at some of the reports doing the rounds now, Gabriel Jesus will miss the rest of the World Cup with a knee injury. That is a report coming from GE Globo uh, in Brazil at the moment. That is really sad news for Gabby Jesus. But I'm more concerned now about how long this knee injury is going to keep him out for. Uh, so breaking news, I'll share that with you guys on the screen in just a second. Uh, here we go. Uh, GE Globo. And it's been reported through the aggregator AFC stuff. Let's share that on the screen. Hold on a second. Do, 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 do. Uh, there we go. Uh, Gabriel Jesus will miss the rest of the World Cup with a knee injury. Oh, heartbreaking for him, obviously. Um, and the fact that he's going to be out for the rest of the World Cup doesn't bode well for when he's going to return for Arsenal. Hopefully it, it isn't too serious and hopefully with the right treatment and, um, you know, the right... Uh, the right work behind the scenes, we can get him back ASAP. But this is obviously big, big news that is dropped or has dropped while we are live, uh, of course, on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Gabriel Jesus, according to reports in Brazil, is going to miss the rest of the World Cup through knee injury. Now, is that precautionary? Have Arsenal um, been involved in this conversation? Has a discussion been held over the likelihood of him returning and the fact that he will get better treatment back at his club as opposed to at international level, I don't know. Uh, we're probably going to get a little bit more information on this. Does it mean that Arsenal go out in January and bring in a striker? There is so much to process here, and we'll, I'm sure, be talking about this in the next few days as uh, the news continues to come our way, as we continue to get more information on this story. But reports coming out of Brazil uh, suggesting that Gabriel Jesus will miss the rest of the World Cup with a knee injury. Now, I said to you at the start of the show that we didn't know how uh, how deep this problem was, that he complained of a pain in the right knee. And it seems as though uh, he could well miss the rest of the tournament. Heartbroken for Gabriel Jesus, but the Arsenal medical team are a group that I have much more faith in than those at international level to be able to A, assess the extent of this problem and B, work out uh, the path to recovery and how long exactly he'll be out for. We shall see. Ugh, not ideal, is it? Not ideal. Um, OK, let's take it on. Let's talk a little bit 
about Granite Xhaka and his housery. Granite Xhaka, of course, involved to Switzerland as they secured qualification through to the round of 16. And uh, he was seen, wasn't he, uh, giving some to the Serbian players, uh, to the Serbian bench. Look, I don't know about the politics um, behind the whole, you know, Albania-Serbia thing. I know that it is a, a, a big rivalry. I know that um, there's obviously some bad feeling between those two groups of people. And I'm not in a position to sit here and, and lecture anybody about it. But from a purely Arsenal perspective, just to see Granit Xhaka sort of really caring and wearing his heart on his sleeve, I kind of like it. I kind of like the fact that he, you know, when he believes in something, when he feels something, he goes 100 miles an hour in it. And sometimes that will spill over and sometimes that'll be a problem. Last night, I was kind of looking at him and thinking, are you going to get yourself sent off here, Granit? Or have you learned? Have you now a better understanding of what the boundaries are with regards to what you can get away with? And and will you be um will you be within that boundary this time? Um and and he was. And um, you know, he, he obviously cares. He's the captain of that Swiss side, he's he's done fantastic. Um, and, and they've secured qualification through to the next round. So congratulations to Granite Xhaka. In an ideal world, I wouldn't have minded Granite Xhaka coming home either. But I think Granite Xhaka's made of much tougher stuff. Uh, than some of our other players that were at the World Cup. And I think Granit Xhaka is someone who, from a confidence perspective, probably needs uh, the success at the World Cup. For Gabby Jesus, who obviously would have been delighted to have been in the squad, I feel like the Brazilian shirt weighs heavy on him. I feel like he's under so much pressure, pressure that he puts himself under to deliver and to score goals for the Brazilian national team, that it becomes a hindrance. And actually, if he went to the, if he stayed at the World Cup and had a disappointing campaign, actually, that could have a negative effect, a negative impact. Let's see where, where this leads with, with Gabby Jesus. Hopefully he's fitter sooner rather than later. I was going to talk Thomas Partey, but we already touched on that a little bit earlier on. Um, I do want to wish our US-based listeners uh, the best of luck because obviously they uh, made progress through to the, uh, to the knockout stages and take on the Netherlands today. Now, it's a testament to how far the USA have come in this sport that I'm looking at this game and I'm not certain that Netherlands get through. In years gone by, you know, Netherlands have been a real force uh, in football and in the European game, especially. They've not always lived up to that at the World Cups, but their teams have been stacked with talent. But I look at the two sides today and I think they're really evenly matched. I think this is going to be potentially one of the knockout ties, uh, one of the standout ties, I beg your pardon, of this round of 16. Netherlands taking on USA and wishing our US listeners and our Dutch listeners, uh, the best of luck. But I think for the US, this is a really big deal because it's a, a real sign of, of how far they've come, in my opinion. OK, uh, let's take some of your questions. Let's take some of your thoughts from the live chat box. Uh, my phone um, is popping off like mad. I'm just making sure I haven't missed anything uh, with regards to um, to what we are uh looking at hold on a second yeah just making sure that the yeah gabby jesus news is coming from uh globo as i say in brazil okay let's um let's do some of your questions let's take some of your thoughts uh ross says do we think people are changing their opinions on stan Kroenke? and there's a follow-up question to that which is do we think stan is in it for the long haul especially when fsg and the glazers are pulling out i think in terms of our people's opinions changing, I think when we really needed the investment, 
which was was clear, wasn't it, over the last 18 to 24 months. They've been there and they've delivered it. So I think you have to give them credit for that. I think if you're going to be super critical of ownership, then at the same time, you have to you have to give them their flowers when they deserve it. And and they have through a difficult period, through COVID and, and now, you know, Arsenal not being in Europe, they have delivered in terms of investment and supported Mikel Arteta and Edu to try and assemble a squad that will get us back closer to where we belong. Have they made mistakes along the way? Absolutely. Some of the signings maybe haven't worked out as well as they should have or could have. Have they made mistakes with regards to laying staff off within the club? Yes, of course. Uh, but they're not going to get everything right. So I think they they do deserve credit for the way they've helped us through a really difficult period. And when you look at the shape that we're coming out of that period in, in comparison to the shape we were in when we went into it, then you have to give them, as I say, their dues. Are they in this for the long haul? It's really difficult to say. But what is clear is that Arsenal is a much more valuable asset to sell and uh, and a, and a, and something that they can get a lot more money for if it is operating in a self-sustaining way. And I think they realised that the only way to get it back to the kind of state in which it would be a very attractive proposition for some of the world's richest people would be to get it, get the club back in Europe, to get uh, the club back on the path to self-sustainability. And they've recognised and realised that they have to invest in order to do that. Does that mean that they will then hold on to the club moving forward? And does that mean that they would then... Um, you know, see it as a long-term thing or or does the the dissolving, if you like, of the Super League make them feel a bit like FSG and a bit like the Glazers and like this isn't something for them in the long-term future anymore? We don't really know. It's hard to say at this moment in time. But what I will say is the first step, whatever route they decide to take, whether that's holding on to the club and looking to build and develop it or putting it on the market, the first step is, of course, uh, to uh, get the club back to self-sustainability. I think that's where they're at. Uh, what else have we got in here? Um, Northside London says, who's your favourites? After seeing the group stages, Harry, of course, the group stages of the World Cup are now over and the round of 16 starts a little bit later on today. Um, who are my favourites after seeing the group stage? It's really hard to say, actually. Um I like the look of Brazil, obviously. They made lots of changes yesterday, and so I don't really... Um, I'm not really going to uh, go too big on um, on sort of... on anyone at this stage. But Brazil, Argentina, France, those were my favourites going into the tournament, and not an awful lot has changed for me, if I'm being honest. I've been impressed with the likes of Morocco, um, and and some of the other sort of less fancied sides. Obviously, Japan have had an amazing tournament so far as well. But in terms of my favourites, I think I, I'm still along the lines of Brazil, Argentina, France, England are probably fourth, fifth favourites for me at this moment in time. And, and that's where I'm at. Uh, what else have we got? Um, David says, Harry, I have a pair of season tickets at the Emirates this season. When I sell my second ticket on the ticket exchange, it normally sells within 10 minutes. In the past, it could take days to sell. That just builds into the point, doesn't it, that we were making earlier on about healthy club, healthy team. The demand is there and that is good for everybody involved. And, and, and I totally agree with you. I've I've had friends that have come over from abroad and said to me, is there any chance you can get me a ticket for a game? And I've had a peep on the ticket exchange. And in the past, it would have been quite easy, especially for some of the shall we say, lower ranking games, the category C games. It was 
normally quite easy to find a, a ticket, for example, in the upper tier knocking about. It just doesn't happen anymore. And that is, again, a telltale sign of the progress that the club and the team have made under this current management. Uh, Steve says, do you think it's a good idea to try and sign Milinkovic, Savic or Vlavic when you see how the Serbian players reacted to Xhaka? Um, look, look, I I would expect that club level for these guys to just get on with it if that were to be the case, if we were to move for Milinkovic, Savic or, or Dusan Vlavic, if that ever became a possibility. I don't see that as an issue. I've got to be honest. I think you get it all the time. You get players from countries who politically are at loggerheads uh, coming together at club level. And um, and so I wouldn't be massively concerned about that. If you think those players are the right players, if you think that the deals can be done, then you do it. And it's down to their professionalism, isn't it? They have to just get on with it. But yeah, obviously things boil over um, at, at times. And, you know, obviously the the thing that makes the whole Xhaka Serbia thing a little bit messy is that Xhaka's not playing for his team. He's well for the the nation of his origin. He is playing for the nation in which he grew up, and he's playing for the Swiss. And so people look at this game and they go, "Well, why the hell is it boiling over between Switzerland and Serbia? Switzerland don't fight or argue with anybody. They're the neutral boys, aren't they?" But obviously, this is deeper and this goes back to their cultural roots and cultural heritages. Look, for example, politically, Greeks and Turks are at loggerheads, right? I've got loads of Turkish friends as a Greek. I've got loads of Turkish friends and I am, you know, never going to not be someone's friend because they're Turkish. You know, that that's that's never something that crosses my mind. And the reason it doesn't cross my mind is because it's nothing to do with them. You can have your political views and you know, your your wounds of the past, as shall we say, as, as many cultures do and, you know, rivalries of the past. But I don't ever look at individuals, particularly individuals who have nothing to do with politics and think that they're responsible, um, you know. And so I wouldn't expect this to be an issue moving forward. But as I say, you know, if someone's a good person and, and you get on with them and, you know, you've got things in common and, and who really gives a shit about the background and, and where they're from, I, I to me, it's not an issue. I think growing up in London, that's been a big thing. You know, growing up in London, you mix with different people every single day. Um, the food we go out and buy can come from any multitude of countries. The the places that we go, the restaurants that we go to, the colleagues that we have at work, all of these people from a multitude of backgrounds. I think that's, that's what's beautiful about living in London, uh, more so than a lot of places in the world. But yeah, I, I don't think it would be an issue. I think that that would be put to one side. Okay. Um, De Akubra says, uh, what do you think? With all the names being smashed around, how many do you think we need? Four or two? What would be your minimum acquisition? I think we need two. I think we will get two. I don't think we'll get any more than that. I think to ask for more than that in January is unrealistic when you look at those for example you look at those financial results okay you can see that you know we're not in the healthiest state in terms of money so anything that we do we're going to have to dig deep to do it after another big summer rkse going to say here's another hundred or so or so million pounds by that same token if you want to bring in top top quality you need to pay top top dollar and so if you try and spread that money across four players all of a sudden the level of player that you're getting is is arguably going to be of a lesser standard 
And I don't want that. So I'd rather we got two top quality acquisitions in. Obviously, the Jesus stuff maybe changes plans. Um, but, you know, Arsenal obviously think that Eddie and Ketia can cover. I don't, but they do because they've given him that contract and, and they've obviously shown some faith and trust in him. We'll just have to see how that goes. But, yeah, look, as I say, at the start of the podcast, you know, we were reacting to the Jesus news. We were talking about the complaint he had of a knee problem yesterday. And as the podcast has gone on, we've had that breaking news. While we're live, that Jesus is going to be out for the weekend, uh, for the World Cup, I beg your pardon. That doesn't necessarily mean that he won't be back on Boxing Day. That doesn't mean that he won't be back one or two weeks after the Premier League season has returned. And if he does come back that quickly, then is going and dropping 40, 50 million pounds on another striker that probably isn't going to play the best use of that money. It's 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 really difficult to, to tell. You know, it's really difficult to know uh, what the right thing to do is here. But let's wait for further news. Let's get the Arsenal medical team um, out there or get Jesus back, one or the other. Let's get those assessments done. Let's understand the extent of the issue and the problem. And then we can think about how that impacts on our uh, transfer plans going into January. But unlike last January, where I was a bit like, look, if there's top quality, go and get it. But if there's not, it's okay. I'm desperate to see Arsenal really double down on the success that they've had thus far this season and add to the group and add to the squad so that we can be even more competitive moving forward. But yeah, we shall see. We shall see. Okay, guys, uh, going to leave it there. Thank you all so much uh, for your questions. Uh, thank you all uh, so much for all your thoughts. Thank you for joining me live on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Uh, best of luck, uh, to or best wishes, I guess, uh, to Gabriel Jesus. Best of luck to everybody whose nations are competing at the World Cup over this weekend and we'll be back very very soon with more Arsenal news until then goodbye I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill